The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC can be found online at overlandpark.cc. Welcome to OPCC. Welcome to those of you joining online. If you have your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, and we will jump back in where we left off last week in chapter 7. Paul sort of landed at this place, man, and he said, I'm wretched but rescued. Who will save me? And he said, I thank the Lord for Jesus Christ who will rescue me. Um, from this place that I'm at. And so um, we get to Romans 8, man, and it is, it is probably one of the most glorious chapters in the entire Bible. Romans 8 will take a few weeks um, to digest all of it, but what is happening in Romans 8 is we are shifting. We have shifted from what we are saved from to what we are saved for. And I think a lot of people in the kingdom miss the second part. We like the part of what we're saved from, but we forget and miss the part that we're saved for something. There's something we are supposed to be engaged in when it comes to the kingdom. We're saved from alienation. We're saved from sin. We're saved from the law itself and what it um, calls us to do as far as the impossibility of meeting the requirements of it. And we're saved for life in the Spirit. What is life in the Spirit? Life in the Spirit is... Man, I'm walking with the Lord in such a place of intimacy that my life is marked by the supernaturalness of the kingdom coming out and spontaneity. There's things happening around me that are just spontaneous, um, and it is the spontaneous work of the Holy Spirit. And there's a synergy that happens in the kingdom among what God is doing in people. And that synergistic living is when the Holy Spirit is working amongst two people and we see the kingdom breaking out in a new way. And that is the most glorious place to be as a follower of Jesus is making sure that I'm not just banking on what I'm saved from, but I'm actually living the life that I've been saved for. Now, what we find fascinating in Romans chapter 8, or the entire book of Romans is that chapters 1 through 7, the word spirit is used five times. (laughs) In chapters 9 through 16, it is used eight times. In the middle, in chapter 8, it is used 21 times. Now we learned when we were going through the study of the Old Testament prophets, um, the minor prophets, is that one of the things that uh, Jewish writers would do is to take the most important stuff and put it in the middle. And here we find right in the middle something really, really important. And it is about how we are to live and follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there's a really interesting story in, um, in the Gospels. You'll be familiar with it when we look at it. But we're going to look at the passage out of Matthew. Matthew chapter 19. Okay, it's the rich young ruler. And I want to read this story because I think it has a lot in it that that is going to apply. It says, just then a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good, Jesus replied. There's only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones, he required. Jesus replied, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. 
All these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. And then Jesus said to his disciples, truly, I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, who then can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Uh, the guy goes away sorrowful. Like, what do I do, man? What, what do I do, Jesus, to get into, to have eternal life? And he says, well, man, you, you got to keep the commandments. He's like, Which one? Jesus basically said all of them, every one of them. And the guy says, I did it. I've, that's what I've done my whole life. And he says, all right, then sell everything and come follow me. What is going on here in this story is the guy has his mind set on the wrong things. He has his mind set on doing instead of being. And Jesus, he, he identifies that very quickly, and that's why he says to him, um, go sell everything. He basically says to him, do the impossible. And the guy walks off, man, he has his head hung low because he's a rich kid, man, and he, he's done really well in life. And like this guy, to follow this guy, man, he says, I have to get rid of everything and then come follow him. And so he has his mind set in the wrong place. And that's what I want to talk to you about today is that it's very easy to have the right attitude. It's very easy to have the right desires you think in your mind um, that I, wanna, I want to follow God and I am following God. But it is also very easy to get your mind on the wrong things. And when you get the right, your mind on the wrong things, you can live a sorrowful life because you're not actually living the life that the Lord has laid out for you to live. And I want to talk to you and teach you today, and all of us, challenge us about having our minds set on the wrong, right things, because that's what Paul is going to do in the first 17 verses of chapter 8. And we're just going to jump in there, and I'm going to give you some takeaways on the, on the way, and, and we'll start with verse 1, one of the coolest verses, most important verses in all the Bible. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. That's right. First point is, I will not be damned. Right? We always say that. A lot of people say, I'm not going to be damned, man. And, and, and when you look at this, he says, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, what is condemnation? When we look at the Greek word, it is the, um, the word katakrima, and it means damnatory sentence. Okay? So he's saying, therefore, those who are in Christ Jesus will not have a damnatory sentence on their lives. We go back to the story of the rich young ruler. He comes to Jesus. What must I do to have eternal life? Here it is. Like, if you're in Christ, you will not be damned. Now, notice what it does not say. And this is very important. It does not say that I will not be convicted. It does not say that I will not sin and, and be convicted of that sin, it does not say that I will not be disciplined for sin. As a child of God, even if you are not damned, you can still be disciplined, okay? Hebrews says that. 
Um, we reap what we sow. And if you are sowing things into your life that are not first and foremost of the kingdom, you will reap those things and there will be a cost of you making a decision that does not have to do with your allegiance to Christ that has more to do with your allegiance to yourself. And so Paul here is saying, man, like when we look at this, the thing we need to um, look at is go, well, I may be convicted of sin. I may be disciplined for sin, but I will not be damned because of sin because I am in Christ Jesus. And that's where he starts out. And he left off last week. Who will rescue me um, from this state that I'm in where I'm doing this battle with my flesh and, and the spirit of God is living in me? And he said, thankful to Christ who will rescue me on the cross of Calvary, and he's teaching us, therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So the greatest place we can walk as believers is in this place where we're recognizing there's no condemnation. If we can also eliminate a great deal of conviction, we say, how do you do that? Well, you're going to be able to follow the Lord. The less you follow the Lord, the greater the conviction is going to be in your life. Um, and, and over things that should not be convicting you, easy things. Now, there will always be conviction. I'm trying to gain, we know that, that Paul said in chapter 6, man, that we do not let sin reign in our, our mortal bodies, and so we master it. And, we're, and, and does that mean we're perfect? No, but it means that we're in this struggle, this warfare, and, and the great sin in my life that I, I am trying to master and I just can't get it. I'm like, man, this thing just keeps showing up. Is, is the sin of condemnation. It's when I, when I look at what another person does and I'm condemning in my spirit. Now, lest you be confused, I'm not talking about judging a person for how they live and that, that they don't know Jesus. And I'm like, oh man, that person is so evil. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when in my attitude, something comes out of my heart when I'm by myself, that is condemning of another person. As simple as the one that gets me all the time, and you've heard me talk about it, and it's because I'm trying to wrestle with it, is the way people drive. Like, I just condemn them all the time, man. I'm just condemning people right and left. I'm like, why do I keep doing this? I'm really trying to not do it, and I find myself, and that's really just all about me, because I make mistakes driving all the time, but I don't condemn myself. I have grace for me, right? Uh, and so, like, I'm just struggling with that. And so, so but, but the, the thing is, I'm not struggling with simple things. I'm not struggling over whether the Holy Spirit is not convicting me about how much time I'm spending in the Word. I'm in the Word, man. And so I'm not dealing with that kind of conviction. I'm dealing with the kind of conviction that is growing me up in Christ Jesus. And that's what discipleship is all about. And we got a meeting today with our leaders about discipleship. We're excited about the groups coming out of the ground. And I would encourage you, if you're not in a group, to get in a group. Say, why? So that you can know how to follow Jesus and walk with some other people that are trying to follow Jesus. And you will see some things in your life where you're getting, you'll get movement where you're not getting movement. And you say, well, do I have to do discipleship to do that? No, but the the chances of you really discipling up in the Lord without it are very, very slim. You say, why? Because of your nature. Your body is strong and your, your, your spirit, the, Jesus said, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is what? Weak. Okay? And so like we, we're, we're, we're dealing with that. So we look at this and we go, the good news is there's no condemnation. And, and, and if we can live in a place of freedom where we're not experiencing um, 
um, thing, conviction over stuff that we shouldn't be convicted over, like a, 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 then, then we're walking out this abundant life that Jesus talked about. And so the first thing I want you to take away is that, man, we ought to all be living in a place, if the gospel has impacted us, where I will not be damned. And that's what this rich young ruler coming to Jesus is asking about, is how, how do I ensure that I'm going to have inner, eternal life and not be damned? Then he goes on, Paul says, why we're not damned? Because through Christ... Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life, has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. We read that again. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. Here's my second takeaway for you. My mind is set, okay? You got you to come to this place where your mind is set. And it, it, it already is. And it is either set in the flesh or it's set in the spirit. If you are a believer who is therefore not condemned because you are in Christ Jesus and you still try, are trying to set your mind on the flesh, you are a spiritual schizophrenic. There's nothing that will make you more miserable than to know Jesus, to have been set free by the cross of Calvary and the blood of Christ, and be trying to allow the flesh to reign in your life. That is, Jesus said, it'd be better if you never knew the truth than to know the truth and to live like that. That is a place of prison, okay? And so, like, we, we ought to be, as people who have been set free by, from Christ, and we are, now we're in Christ, there's therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ. For those who are not in Christ, there's still condemnation, all right? But as soon as we come in Christ, there is therefore now no condemnation. So Paul says that when we get to that place, that our minds need to be set on the Spirit. Because the Spirit gives life and sets me free. The Spirit is that thing that I was talking about while I'm allowing my mind to be set on the Spirit. Then the Spirit is bringing that supernatural um, movement in my life and that spontaneity where I'm walking through life and I'm like, man, look at what the Lord did right there. Um, the apostles were notorious for this saying. They would say all the time, it is the Lord, man. It is the Lord. He, he, it is the Lord. He just showed up right there. They were fishing in the boat one day, and, and a guy was cooking a breakfast on the beach, and, and he tells them to throw the nets on the other side. This is post-resurrection, and, and ultimately they figure out, John says, it is the Lord, and Peter jumps out of the boat. Man, they're constantly amazed by the Lord showing up and doing work in their lives. And that's what it ought to be like for us as we set our minds on the Spirit. We ought to be saying, it is the Lord. And so a challenge for you would be, when's the last time you felt that? 
When's the last time in your life as a believer that therefore you are in Christ and there is now no condemnation? When's the last time you said it is the Lord? When's the last time you said it is me? <laughs> like that one, we can kind of like, if we know that one, it trips us up all the But we ought to be living in this place uh, of, of refreshing where the Lord is showing up and doing a work in our lives. And so, so the Spirit gives life and it sets me free. And, and Paul says, God did what the law could not do. Now, he's been laying out this case for the law, the Old Testament law, the Mosaic law that was given to the nation of Israel. Now, how, how, or, or what, what God did is he met the requirements of the law in us. And so when we look at the law and the young man comes to Jesus and he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, keep the law. You know what parts? Well, he said, love God. And then he ended with, love your neighbor as yourself. And we know that another time Jesus said, all the law and the prophets hang on those two statements. And so Jesus says, all of it. All of it. What part of the law? Don't ever lie. Don't ever cheat. Don't ever think anything bad. Don't ever do anything wrong whatsoever. That's what you must do to inherit eternal life. That's what the law demands of us. And so we, we see that God, what happens in him coming in the form of flesh, in the likeness of flesh, yet not sinning against the law, he did, what he did was meet the requirements of the law in us. That's why a couple of weeks ago we learned that we must die in Christ. We share in his death on the cross of Calvary. When you come to a place of belief in your life and what Jesus did, then what you're doing is you're sharing in his death. And his death becomes your death. You die to yourself that Christ might be raised up in you and you are no longer living, but it is Christ living in you and Christ meets the requirements of the law. If I'm not in Christ, then the law will condemn me because that's what the law does. So you read the law, the guy said, what must I do? He walks away sorrowful because the law condemned him. He, he was lying even in, in the moment that he said, I've kept all that since my youth. That was a lie right there. He broke a law in the, the response that he had to Christ in the first place. You see, if I'm not in Christ, the law condemns me because if I have the Spirit, my mind is no longer set on the flesh. Before I have the Spirit, my mind is still set on the flesh, but the Spirit allows me to have the freedom from the law. We do not live according, he says, to the flesh but, but according to the Spirit. Now, there's a contrast that he goes through and he makes there. He says the flesh, if we live according to the flesh, it will mean death, which is separation from God. If, if we live according to the Spirit, we will have life, which is this spontaneity and this, the zoe that, that, that Christ raises, raises up in us. If we live according to the flesh, we'll be hostile toward the things of God. We'll be angry about the things of God. We will resist the things of God. We will re be rebellious toward it. But if we are living and have our minds set on the Spirit, we'll have peace with God. That's one of the things that he taught us a couple of weeks ago. If we're living in the flesh, we cannot please God. Like in the flesh, no person can please what God whatsoever. They're, they're hostile toward God. They cannot please Him. But in the Spirit, we are pleasing to God. And so that's why you must be born again in order to um, 
walk out the things of the kingdom because when you are born spiritually, the Spirit sets you free from the condemnation of the law because God does what the law could never do inside of you and He meets the requirements of the law so that now He can be in relationship with you without compromising any of the attributes of His holiness and His righteousness. And now because you, uh, the requirements of the law have been met in you because you are therefore in Christ Jesus, God the Father can be in relationship with you and you can be led by the Spirit. And so your mind must be set. The law's responsibility, here's what is really cool. The law's responsibility is to lead men to Christ. But once that goal is achieved, it must hand the guidance over to the Holy Spirit, which is God himself. You see, the law just keeps condemning. Now, we're not saying, Paul has already said, is the law bad? No, the law is not bad. The law is holy. The law is righteous. That's what the word says. But it's in our inability to keep the law that sin enters into the world. And so the, the, the law's job is to lead us to Christ and help us to see that we cannot meet the requirements of God for all men fall short of the glory of God. And, and But when we come in Christ, we are therefore in Christ, we are, there's therefore now no condemnation, we are covered uh, by grace, and so when that happens, then the pneuma of God, the Spirit of God indwells the believer, and leadership goes from the law leading men to Christ, to Christ leading men in love. And that's a beautiful thing that begins to happen. And that's why Paul is saying, when that exchange happens, man, you have to make sure that you understand that your body is used to being in control. The flesh is used to being in control. But you've been quickened by the Spirit. You have come alive in Christ. And now that you are alive in Christ, you must set your mind on the Spirit and not on the flesh. And that is why the word disciple is used to describe us because we are disciples of Christ. And that's why we have discipleship groups as we're learning the discipline of how to set our mind on the spirit as opposed to the flesh. Nobody needs to teach you how to set your mind on the flesh. That is just easy stuff. By default, that's where we all land. But when we're engaged in the disciplines of the, uh, of the uh, unseen world, the supernatural, through prayer and, and study of the word and, and fasting and meeting with other believers from house to house and discussing the things of the Lord, then we will be in awe of what the Spirit is doing because our minds now that have been trapped by the flesh but set free because we are therefore in Christ and, and there's now no condemnation, now we're actually being what it is that we are and we're no longer focused on doing to get rid of our guilt, we realize our guilt is gone, and this thing is about the spontaneity of the Holy Spirit just coming out of us, and the Lord leading us, and we set our minds on that, and the Lord begins to work inside of us. He says, you, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of, the, uh, of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. In a, if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of His Spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation 
But it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Here's the third takeaway. I have the Spirit, and the Spirit has me. Right? And I have the Spirit, and the Spirit has me. As a believer, that's what you need to go around thinking. I have the Spirit, and the Spirit has me. And in that, that's how I know I belong to Christ. You say, well, yeah, do, do, am I in Christ? Do you have the Spirit? If you have the Spirit, you are in Christ. If you do not have the Spirit, then you are not in Christ. That's what the Scripture plainly tells us happens in a believer's life. If I don't have the Spirit of Christ, I am still in the flesh. And so it's not that, okay, I believe, and then later on I get the Spirit. No, as soon as you believe and you turn your life over to Christ and the Lord does a work in your life and the law has led you to Christ, it hands the guidance now over to the Holy Spirit, and now the Spirit of God indwells you, and He is in you, and He leads you, and that is confirmation that you are a believer. You have been transformed by the power of Christ. If you cannot say that I have the Spirit, then you are still outside of Christ, and therefore there is condemnation. You say, why? Because the law is condemning you. And that's all, unless you can keep the whole thing, unless you can keep every jot and tittle and not offend in the law in one way, like one idiot. When you were a little bitty kid, if you told your parents a lie, you are condemned. Why? Because the law says don't do that. And so we look at that and go, man, that's impossible. That's exactly right. And you are still in that if you were in the flesh. But when you are in Christ, you are no longer in that because Christ fulfills the requirements of the law in you because you share in his death, but you also share in his resurrection as he is raised up in you. If the Spirit is leading you, you say, how do I know if the Spirit is in me? The Spirit will lead you. The Spirit will do things in you and lead you along. It's simple. Like, it happens to me all the time. So I'm going to tell you a story. Yeah, we got time. I'm going to tell you a story that happened to me this week. It's kind of cool. Um, Somebody visited the church uh, about a month ago, Uh, beginning of September. I made a connection with them, had coffee with them, felt like it was a real good connection, and they were looking for a new church. Um, they actually, um, you know, were trying to navigate through that. Not that this is a great meeting. I, I mean, this guy like, would connect really well. I mean, the guy even likes to bow hunt. So, like, <laughs> no brainer, right? You're supposed to be at our church. Uh, and uh, so, anyway, um, from that that uh, uh, that appointment, then I started to pray for the guy. And then he he sent me a text, and he he said, "Hey, just wanted you to know, we're not going to be there this weekend. We're in Hawaii." Um, Oh, it's okay, bro. I'm not, I'm not going to be there either. I'm in Idaho on elk hunt. I said, I'll see you when I get back. And so that was several weeks ago, right? Well, then I got back and going on, didn't show, didn't show. But I've been, the Lord told me to pray. And I often will do this when somebody visits the church. I will start praying for them about what they're supposed to do and whether they're supposed to be a part of our family. And, uh, and so I've been praying and praying and praying. And, um, 
And I, a couple of times I thought about reaching out, and I was like, you know, no, I, I'm, I'm, oh, no, I did reach out one time. And, and he said, well, hey, after he didn't show up, I was like, hey, I, I just wanted to reach out and see how you're doing. He said, you know, we're trying to do our due diligence about making the right decision, so we're kind of checking out some other places. And so I was like, okay, and I continued to pray. Well, this last Thursday, in the middle of the night, like 3 o'clock in the morning, I had this dream, man, and I just woke up from the dream. And... And I, 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 it's one of those dreams, this doesn't happen in every dream, but it does happen sometimes to me, and I just knew, man, the, the Lord is challenging me to get up and pray. I need to go pray. Something's, something's off. And so I went into the other room, as I often do, and I found me a spot, and I just spent just a few minutes. Not, I didn't pray for the next hour, okay? I just spent a few minutes talking to the Lord. And it was apparent to me that the Lord was telling me, you need to pray for this person. And I started praying for them. And I... And so then I was like, the next day I woke up and that was on my mind. I was like, well, maybe I ought to text them and see if everything's okay and, and tell them about that. And said, no, man, if you do that, like you'll be putting pressure on them. And the Lord just clearly told me, he said, don't, don't do anything. You did what you were supposed to do. You just pray. And so, so yesterday I'm like um, doing, me and Abby are uh, at a friend's house and I get this text and it's from the guy. And he's like, hey, man, just want you to know we're going to be at church tomorrow. And I was like, would you look at that? And so I texted him back, and I said, bro, I said, you, you, um, you're not going to believe this. I said, but Thursday morning, early in the morning, I said, the Lord woke me up and had me praying about you, and I didn't want to text you because I didn't want to put pressure on you. And he, you know, I, I said some other things, and, and I said, you know, the Lord told me to wait, and he responded back, and he said, that's amazing. He said, that's the exact day that my wife and I started talking about whether or not we're supposed to come back to OPCC. And so you say, that's, you say, oh, that's a coincidence. Yeah, whatever, right? Happens to me all the time. Happens to me all the time when the Lord will tell me, he'll lean into me and say, hey, you need to go to the hospital. Like he doesn't always tell me to go to the hospital and visit somebody who's, who's going through something. But sometimes, man, he'll, he'll just prompt me and I just know, man. We say, how do you know that? My mind is set on the spirit. I'm not being ruled by the flesh. The flesh will tell me you don't have time to go. If you go, you're not going to get to do this. You're not going to get to do that. And you've got all these other things to do. And the flesh will tell me nothing but death, but the spirit will lead me in the way of the kingdom. And I will see the fruit of the blessing of God in my life because I'm experiencing things that are not of this world. And that's why I love being a part of the ministry and teaching people about that because it's because the spirit, um, I have the spirit and the spirit has me and I want you to have the spirit, but I also also want the Spirit to have you. It, it's reciprocal. It's not just that I have the Spirit. The exciting part is that man, like I just gave you some information, but only the Holy Spirit can give you illumination. Only the Holy Spirit can take the Word and all of a sudden, pow, turn the lights on, and you're like, oh, I never knew that before. I never saw that in this Scripture before. Only the Holy Spirit is the one, like, I can give you information and say, hey, just want you guys to know um, that so-and-so just lost a, a brother to a car accident. And we can, that's information. As a man, I can give you that information, but only the Spirit can give you the illumination of what you're supposed to do with that information. And that's what it means to walk in the Spirit. And as we walk in that Spirit, and we have the Spirit and the Spirit has us, then what happens is the Holy Spirit opens our minds to understand His Word. But He not only opens our minds to understand His Word, He helps us obey and helps us what He helps us understand. And so the Lord will show me something and help me understand it, and then He will help me to walk it out in obedience. What does that remind me of? I am the Good Shepherd. <laughs> 
My sheep hear my voice. They listen and they follow me. Any other uh, shepherd, an imposter that comes in, they will not listen to him because they recognize. They know because I have the Spirit and the Spirit has me. I have them and they have me. And we walk through life together. And that's what Christianity is all about. And, and we come together and say, well, why don't we come to church on the weekend? Well, so that you can be taught and challenged with the information of the truth of God's word and the Holy Spirit can illuminate you. And we together as the uh, body of Christ here on the planet can go through this process of illumination where the Holy Spirit is leading us and he can accomplish some kingdom stuff on the planet that makes a difference forever and ever and ever. And what does the flesh do? The flesh says, I have to have new furniture, I have to have new cars, I have to have this money, I have to have this trip, I have to go to this place, I have to do this thing. That's what the flesh does. Who's leading you? I have the Spirit, and the Spirit has me. Now, does it mean that I can't do any of those things? No, but it means if you're not careful, there are so many things that are so powerful in our lives that the flesh can start leading, and that is a life that stinks because the flesh is dead, and you're trying to carry around a corpse in life. And that's a stinky way to live. <laughs> no pun intended, right? And so we look at this and we see that divine aid is needed to meet the divine requirements. This is why Paul was talking about in John chapter 15, is that when if you, it's impossible to bear fruit apart from me. You must abide in Christ. When you abide in Christ, then the fruit of the gospel will begin to produce in your life. And so he also notes that we have an obligation, therefore. He says we have an obligation to the Spirit. And then um, I am no longer, or, or so when I am obligated to the Spirit, I'm set free. If I am not obligated to the Spirit, guess what I'm obligated to? The law that I can't fulfill. So this becomes very, very important for me to have any kind of victory in my life. Now, because I have the Spirit, not only um, do I have the divine ability or enabling to understand and illuminate things in my mind and my heart and to help me to obey them, I'm also coming up out of the ground in my body in the future. And so the, 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 the gospel touching our lives in the scripture is all a, a tension between um, the already and the not yet. What does that mean? The already, well, I already have been resurrected in Christ spiritually, but I have not been resurrected in Christ bodily. But Christ is the first fruits of the resurrection. And so he is raised up in me spiritually, and I am the temple of the Holy Spirit, and now I'm no longer dead spiritually. I'm alive in Christ through the power of the resurrection that has touched my life and quickened me and been raised up in the future. Then I will be raised imperishably in, in my physical body. And so we, we like... <laughs> And I don't have time to go into all of this, all right? But in the future, when Christ comes back, and the, the, he will set up a kingdom, and he will, he will reclaim the earth for himself. Even the earth is going through this phase of, um, uh, of dying, okay? But it will be remade new. It will be resurrected new, and, and the, uh, the, the believer will be resurrected to life, which is to spend eternity with God in fellowship with him, and the unbeliever who is not in Christ will be resurrected to death. Now, now when we say, what does that mean? That means eternal separation from God. And so this resurrection thing is coming, and I look forward as I go through even difficult times of suffering in my life that I know that my life is not about 
this physical existence that I am living right now in this temporary flesh. My life is about an eternal existence that is never um, going to end, and I keep my mind set on that and recognize that I have the Spirit and the Spirit has me, and just like Jesus came up out of the ground, my body too will come up out of the ground, and my soul and my body will be reunited in the future when that glorious day when Christ reclaims it all for himself. And then he finishes out this section, and he says, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. <laughs> That's good news. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father, which is basically putting us in a position when that term is used that we can call God Papa or we can call God Daddy. That's the intimacy that, that is being reflected there. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we um, are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. And that brings us to the big idea. My adoption secures my inheritance. We're born as infants. Okay, by the power of God. We're born as infants, but we are adopted as sons. There are two words that are used there. And in that adoption, that, that is a Roman idea that was happening, is that sometimes a Roman person, a, a Roman dad would look at his kids, and he might be a re really wealthy and successful person, and he'd be like, I none of these kids, like, I can't leave everything to these guys. Okay? And so he would go find somebody that he felt had the character traits and the giftedness and everything to um, inherit all that he has. And he would adopt them, and they would have the full rights of sonship. And so that's the idea of what is being communicated here. And so the rich young ruler comes to Jesus, and he says, what must I do to inherit? Jesus says, keep the law. And he says, done. And he says, then sell it all. And he went away sorrowful because he knew that he could not do all of that. What is Jesus saying in that story? He's saying if you want to inherit the kingdom, you better be born again and adopted by God. Now, we see that in this, that we see the doctrine of the Trinity. We are convicted by the Spirit. We are born of the Son, and we are adopted by the Father. And when we are adopted then we have the full rights of the king. In 2 Samuel chapter 9, there's a really interesting story about a dude named Mephibosheth. So King David has finally come to the throne. Right, he's finally there. After being attacked by Saul for years, Saul is finally gone. And he had become David's enemy, even though he was a Jew, the first Israelite king. He tried to kill David because David said that, or God said that David would be the next king. And when David becomes king, he says, is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. 
And they summoned him to appear before David. And the king said to him, Are you Ziba? At your service, he replied. The king asked, Is there... Is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? And Ziba answered the king. He said, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. In other words, he's just crippled. He can't even walk. Where is he? The king asked. Ziba answered, he's at the house of Mekur, son of Emil, in Lodabar. So King David had him brought from Lodabar from the house of Mekir, son of Emil. And when Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. And David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied, don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. And Mephibosheth bowed down and said, What is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? And David said, the king, the, Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's steward and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants um, are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops to, the, uh, to your master's grandson so that he may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. That is a picture of the gospel. He said, what am I, a dead dog, that you would come after me? The king initiated the relationship. Mephibosheth was terrified for his life because he was the only remaining heir alive of Saul. And Saul had been trying to kill David for years. And David calls and summons for the cripple who could not even walk, brought him to his house and said, you will eat at my table. You will no longer eat at your table. And those servants will become your servants and they will farm the ground and make you money, but you will always live in the castle. <laughs> Mephibosheth's name means shameful thing. He lived in the land of Lodabar, which means barren land. And these kings, you're coming to my house, bro. And he adopted him as one of his own. And so that's like, that's the gospel. You see, if you are not in Christ, you are still in the barren land and you can't eat at the king's table. And the king may invite you, but at some point, like Mephibosheth, I suppose, could have said, no, I'm good. I'll stay here in Lodabar and fend for myself. And everybody would listen to that and go, well, that's stupid. Just like it is for you to stay in the barren land and not be adopted by the Father, and your prideful heart keep you rejecting Christ because you're afraid of what you may lose. You don't have anything. If you don't have Christ, you don't have anything but condemnation coming. And so my encouragement to you would be the same as what the kids are learning as their memory verse in Acts chapter 3 is like, repent so that times of refreshing may come. You say, what do I do? Repent. 
Repent of your sin. Repent of your proud heart. Repent of the fact that the law has condemned you and you are guilty and say to the Lord Jesus Christ, I am sorry, cover my sin, Lord, and therefore you are now in Christ and there is no condemnation. You've been invited by the Spirit and, and God the Son has raised you up in birth because it is impossible to come into the kingdom of Christ unless one be born again and now God the Father adopts you into the kingdom with all of the royalty that comes with sitting at the king's table. And you will inherit already the blessings of Christ. He says, where are our blessings? They are seated with Christ in heavenly places. That's the already. I walk it out spiritually. And the not yet is when it is all reunited physically. And forever and ever, we shall reign with Christ. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Have you ever repented? And acknowledge that you are a sinner who stands in need of God's grace. That Christ is the only one who can atone for your sins. Is today your spiritual birthday? Is today the day of salvation when you come to the king's castle? You sit at his table and you begin feasting with the king. Listen, it's, it's your life to give. And all I can do is give you the information of the gospel. But if the Holy Spirit illuminates it in your life, don't say no to what he's inviting you to because your heart can get hard. And in time, um, you won't care anymore. And so my prayer for you is to say yes to Jesus if Jesus is indeed inviting you to join him at the table. He's saying, just pray right now in this moment, Lord, I'm a sinner. Would you come into my life and forgive me of my sin? But it doesn't stop there, friend. Like you can pray the prayer, but you need to make confession with your lips and tell somebody that you've given your life to Christ. And I hope that you will do that today. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We pray these things in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ. And amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at overlandpark.cc.